Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. I want to uh, just... Before I invite uh, Pastor Josh up, I, I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, Josh. Josh is becoming uh, a great friend of mine, and um, we met through uh, teaching, and I uh, teach, as Josh does, at City Point Ministry College, and have the privilege of, um, uh, there's a couple of students there, the best students, actually, that we have here. And so we, we met, um, I met Josh there. Actually, I think probably our first proper chat was at the cricket we hung out at the cricket one day, so that sounds pretty good. And um, Josh has recently, uh, this year, taken over uh, as the senior pastor of a church. He'll tell you a little bit about it called Kingdom Hope. And I love that Josh has a passion for the things of God, for the kingdom of God. He's got a passion for prayer and for the prophetic. Uh, he's running a great conference. Uh, in a couple of weeks. And so we are absolutely delighted to have him and Bonnie. And they've got four kids, uh, which are all tucked away, out of sight, out of mind. So this is almost a bit like a date. I, I say particularly early on for Beck and I, if we couldn't see or hear our kids, we were on a date. Even if that was for two minutes. Like that's how, you know, that's how it is in certain things. So this is a date you can... Hold hands or something. That, that's embarrassing. I don't try not to embarrass if you if you want to do that. But um, why don't you? Uh, I'm going to ask you to to uh, give Pastor Josh a clap as he comes, just as a sign of honour. And so we want to welcome you, Josh. Thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's it's actually really exciting to be here. Uh, thank you for welcoming us and having us in your church. Uh, as uh, Pastor Andrew mentioned, we, we've only just become recently acquainted at the beginning of this year and at the cricket. You always meet anointed men of God at the cricket. That's where, uh, that's where the uh, presence of the Lord is during the summer. And uh, we had a great chat uh, there and we, we've come to know uh, a lot about each other this year. And, and there are some friendships that are built over a long time. Um, but I really feel with Pastor Andrew, our hearts have resonated very quickly and uh, he's quickly become uh, one of our closest friends in, in ministry and certainly a, a blessing to us this year if we've, as we've stepped into our new season of senior pastoring. We've also been following you very closely uh, on Instagram and Facebook which with each of your steps and uh, we were praying uh, for, the, for the vicinity we're in now, I believe, and uh, it's great to be here and seeing that answered prayer. And uh, and yeah, we just uh, we just so appreciate what you're doing. Church planting, that's like ninja level Christian. Yeah. That like that is hardcore pioneering a work uh, is never something that we've had to do. Uh, we've always transitioned churches, and thank the Lord for that, uh, because I'm not sure uh, I'd be able to step into that. So pray for your pastors, uh, because establishing a work in an area is not an easy thing to do. To be a pioneer in business. Um, there's a there's a, a phrase that uh, pioneers get slaughtered, early settlers thrive, uh, and and that's because generally the people that are pioneer they're doing the hard yards, they're cutting down trees, they're making way, they're taking territory, 
Uh, and that's certainly not going to be the case uh, for this church. That wasn't a prophecy, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, that, that's not a prophecy. I certainly believe in my heart. I was saying to Bonnie on the way here, I was saying, I, I just, I believe this is going to be a significant work in this area and in this city. Uh, and uh, I just, I greatly admire uh, Pastor Andrew. I love the conversations that we have. Uh, he is such a sharp intellect and, uh, and spiritually strong. And that's a great combination having a pastor. Amen. All right. Well, let's get into the Word of God this morning. Uh, I believe you're in a season of words. And, uh, and that's, um, that's a, a great place to be. As a Christian community, as a faith community, we're a word people. Uh, we're, that's, that's the foundation, really, of our Christian faith. And everything that we celebrate at Christmas is this, that the word became flesh and tabernacled. And that, that's just a, a, a biblical way of saying uh, meeting with us. That the word, Jesus Christ himself, came and met with us. And now we get to walk in his word with him in a close, intimate relationship with him. Not from a God far off in a distance, in a religious observance, but in an everyday walking out of our understanding of who he is in a personal and intimate manner. Now, before we delve into that, I just want to lay a quick foundation about a concept called rest. Now, the reason I've got to lay this foundation is because when I say rest to a bunch of Aussies, you automatically are thinking board shorts, pluggers, beach, chilling out, cricket, boxing day test match, leftover ham and prawns. That's what we're thinking, right? But when the Bible talks about rest... Uh, it's a bit different. Matter of fact, it's actually talking more about an empowerment than it is a reprieve. Uh, As Aussies, we think rest, let's put our feet up. Uh, But when the Bible talks about rest, it's talking about an empowerment. And so today I want to talk about how the Word of God, God's Word, whether that's the written, tangible Word of God that we have, or whether it's a Word of God from heaven, a rhema word, uh, which is a, a divinely inspired Word of God for us, that's an empowerment for our life. And if we were to delve our lives into the Word of God, what you'll find is that there's an empowerment for every area of your life. That Christianity doesn't just become a weekend sport, but it actually becomes something that empowers every single aspect of your life, whether it be your marriage, whether it be your business, whether it be your career, whether it be any relationship, your health, uh, your, your finances. It becomes an empowerment to everything that you live out in your everyday life. Now, the first time we discover rest is in the Garden of Eden. That's the first time we discover the the biblical concept of rest. And and we see that Adam, humanity, was made on the sixth day, but that's not not his natural environment. His natural environment was the seventh day. Adam was made on the sixth day, but he was made for the seventh day. And so we were made for rest. That's our natural environment. Like if we were going to build a, a zoo, we'd put each species in their natural environment as best we could. And if we had humanity in its natural environment, it would be the seventh day rest of the Garden of Eden. That's where we were designed to live. And, and there's a couple of features about that, that environment. One is it had the presence of God there, that the seventh day rest had God's presence there, that God would come down and walk with Adam every single day, that, that, that there was no barrier between humanity and deity. Another aspect of the Garden of Eden and the rest that we had was that there was perfect provision and not like in a boring fashion either. It wasn't like there was a vitamin C tree and a vitamin E tree 
No, no, there was like amazing provision in this garden. There would have been the most spectacular food for Adam and even everything would have been provided for them. And notice this, that humanity was actually placed in the garden as an act of grace. Adam didn't Eve didn't need to recite the Ten Commandments to gain access. They, they didn't need to live like 31 days perfect uh, you know, life and, and, and really, you know, um, holy life before they were. No, they were just placed in there as an act of grace in God's perfect presence, his perfect provision and his perfect protection. And there's many other features to the Garden of Eden. But there are three I just want to point out that first time that we come across the concept of rest, it's really empowered by God. It's his grace that is providing for us, his presence in our life, not because we've earned it, but because notice this, that God came down and walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Now, I don't know what your concept of God is, but often it's natural for us to have a religious type understanding that we're trying to attain God's presence, that we're trying to lift ourselves up from the bootstraps and get good enough to be in his presence. But that's not really the, the presentation of the, of the gospel. The gospel was presented like this, that God saw us in our suffering and he came down into our presence that God wants to dwell with us, that God wants to be with you. And so that's the understanding of rest. The next time we see rest, because Adam blew it. Adam blew it. It, it says this phrase in the Bible that says that, that Adam listened to his wife Eve. And that was the only time in history ever that a husband shouldn't have listened to his wife. Every other time, husbands need to listen to your wife. That was the one time in human history that a husband shouldn't have listened to his wife. And he did, and he blew it. We got, we got kicked out of the rest of God, out of, out of God's presence and his protection. The next time we see rest is when manna is being provided for the Israelites in the, in the wilderness. And, and take note of this. If you're not familiar with this story, God actually made food appear on the ground that the Israelites in the wilderness, in their desert, could eat. And that was only happening on the Sabbath day, which is another way of saying the rest day. So you'd work six days and rest on the seventh. That's the next time you see rest in the Bible. And guess what? That happens before the Ten Commandments. So rest or Sabbath is not a, a mosaic law principle. It's just something that God's trying to reinstitute. He's trying to get it back. He's trying to teach humanity. No, I, I want to be your provision. I want to be the one that walks with you. I want to be in your presence. And so once again, we see that God's trying to get this principle of rest back into humanity. And then he said this, he said, right, okay, rest every seventh day and then rest every seventh year. You get the whole year off every seven years. Who likes that principle? Who would like to every seven years just not go to work for a whole year? Why? Because God's provision in his people was so amazing in the sixth year, there'd be what's called a double portion for them to live off. And then seven times seven, God loves this number. It's all the way through the Bible. 49 years, you'd get that year off. You'd get the 50th year off, which, was with, which would be what's called the Jubilee. You'd get two years off in a row every 50 years, plus every single debt you had was wiped away. If you were a slave, you got set free. And if you ever loaned, owned any land in any part of your genealogy, you got that back as well. That was a Jubilee year. That's amazing, right? Now, the, the reason I'm going through all this, I'm laying this foundation, is because God's trying to teach humanity, I'm your rest, I'm your provision, I want to be in your lives. And then Messiah turns up and he says this, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we see that actually Jesus is our rest. That the Word is when the presence of God comes into our life. It's when his provision comes into our life, his provision of peace, his provision of joy, 
His, his provision of everything that we could ever need. Peter says it this way. He says that we now pertain everything we need for living a life of godliness and holiness. Why? Because of Jesus. Paul points this out in Hebrews. He actually says now in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, now you've actually attained the rest through Jesus Christ. And he uses Israel as an example because they were called out of Egypt and into the promised land, also known as, wait for it, the land of rest. The promised land is known as the land of rest. So God takes us out of Egypt and takes us into his land of rest. But in Hebrews chapter 4, it says the Israelites, the Hebrew people, didn't attain that because of a lack of faith and disobedience. But, however, we have attained rest through Jesus Christ. So I've got good news for you this morning. You have an empowerment in the Word of God because of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm excited about that. In case you weren't aware, that's good news. Right? In other words, we don't need to try and get our healing. It's empowered through the Word of God. We don't need to try and get our restoration. It's empowered through the Word of God. Jesus hasn't just taken you out of Egypt. He hasn't just taken you out of sin and out of slavery. He hasn't just taken you out of addiction and brokenness. It's not just a taking out of. It's a taking into. That you don't just get taken out of brokenness. You get taken into wholeness. You don't get just taken out of poverty. You get taken into prosperity. There's an out of, but there's an into. And as a walk of faith, we actually do that not through our own measure and our own effort. We do it through the empowerment of the word. Now I'm going to try and teach you this this morning, doing something that I would tell my Bible college students never to do, and I'm going to try and preach a whole chapter of the Bible, which I tell young preachers, don't, don't preach too much, it's too much to jam in, but I'm going to do it, if that's all right with you. I'm going to, I'm going to go against my own advice and go a whole chapter of the Bible. So um, it's going to be a great 90 minutes, and... Uh, <laughs> And you, you actually do have the best Bible college students turn up to your church. I don't know why they didn't choose mine. It's clear they obviously have a favourite lecturer. Um, and I will probably be on the altar myself later on, uh, getting restoration for that. Um, but we're going to go to Mark chapter 4 because Jesus, I, I think, is giving a massive faith lesson here in how to walk in an activation of the rest that you've already received. So you've already received the rest, you've already received God's promise, and now it's a matter of actually accessing it. Now, just like the Israelites, they, they, they kind of missed it. Why? Because of a, a lack of faith and disobedience, and, and we've actually received and turned to Jesus through faith and obedience. But just like we receive salvation, how would we attain all the rest of the promises? Same principle. We would walk in faith and obedience, and how to do that is actually a lifelong journey that we go through, and it's a joy to do that. But we're going to have a look at Mark chapter 4 here to pull out some principles. And we're going to look at the parable of the sower. Let's start in verse 3. It starts with this word, listen. Now, that's key to faith. You turn to Romans and it says this. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you want to build your faith, if you want to activate your faith, if you want to uh, increase how you actually access all of God's promises, how do you do it? By faith. And how do you get more faith? By hearing the word of God. See how rest is an empowerment and the Word of God is an empowerment. You want to live an activated, higher, participatory, action-filled faith adventure, get more of the Word of God into you because it's an empowerment. That's how you do it. How, how do you get faith? By hearing the Word of God. 
And that's really easy in our, our culture because we got Kurong, we got YouTube, uh, you got great preaching here every Sunday morning. Uh, you can hear the Word of God, have your faith built, have your faith encouraged, and then go out and access uh, establishing more of God's promise in your, in your life. Uh, so listen, is the first thing he says, he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up. It had no depth of the earth, but when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away and some seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground. That's you guys. The word of God fell on good ground, your heart. And it reaped a harvest. It yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60-fold and some 100-fold. And he said to them, listen to this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we're listening and we're hearing. What are we hearing? The word of God. Because how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. This is a parable. It goes on. His disciples were actually listening to this and they, they later on, they said, Jesus, what did you mean by that? And why do you always talk in parables? One of the reasons why Jesus talked in parables was because uh, there is, a, there is a, a revealing of God to humanity, but in such a way that it maintains the integrity of our free will. Let me, let me explain that again. There's a revealing of God. You only know God because he's revealed himself to you. You didn't figure it out yourself. You're smart, but you're not that smart. You figured out God was around you, in you, and wanted to be with you because of the leading of Holy Spirit, revealing Jesus in your life, and you chose to respond to that, maintaining the integrity of your own free will. There's a guy in England who said it this way, and I can't say it any better, so I'm going to just read what he said. He said, God's self-revelation is veiled in order that men may be left sufficient room in which to make a personal decision. A real turning to God or repentance is made possible by the inward divine enabling of the Holy Spirit, but would be rendered impossible by the external compulsion of a manifestation of the unveiled divine majesty. The revelation is veiled for the sake of man's freedom to believe. Well, let me say it this way. Forced freedom is a contradiction. Now, uh, let me say it even simpler. Now, I'm from the country. I'm a, let me say it country-wise. I was talking to God one day and I'm like, God, this whole church thing, preaching the gospel, going to all nations, it's really hard work. Why can't you just do this? Why can't you just like, here's heaven, step out into earth and be like, hey, guess what, guys? I'm real. And then all humanity will know there's a God and everyone will repent. Why can't you do that? That's a better plan, Jesus. It saves time. But see, if he were to do that, he would, unfortunately, there would be a coerced liberty there. They would choose him because they would see his awesomeness and his grandness and his, his huge majesty and they'd be forced to follow his freedom, which would then, of course, contravene man's own liberty. That makes sense? In other words, your choice to choose Jesus would be taken away if God just revealed and he said, turned up, he's like, repent, boom. That you, your freedom would be somewhat taken away from you. And so there's a, there's a planting of seed, there's a revealing of the word that, that then we turn our hearts. But here's the thing, because of that system, sometimes the word falls on stony ground where Satan can come along and just steal the seed straight away. 
Some of that seed can fall on shallow soil where it does spring up, but because it's shallow and hasn't got good nutrients, uh, then it just withers away and dies. Some of that seed actually falls and grows, but it grows up with other weeds around it that the word then gets choked out. But there is some seed. And the seed we're interested in is the seed that grows up and produces a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. We're interested in that seed. Now, this applies to salvation. This applies to turning to Jesus. But it also applies to every other promise that Jesus has given us. One of the, one of the things that is unveiled about Jesus is that there's an increasing knowledge of God. And one of the words that Paul uses to explain the knowledge of God is not in a mental acquisition, which is kind of how we would think about it in our culture, but in, in the way and the time in which Paul was explaining it, he said it with a word that meant, I want you to experience the knowledge of God, that it would be tangible to you, that that faith wouldn't just be a mental acquisition, but it would be an experiential knowledge that it would be tangible in your life. And so we get to know Jesus as a saviour, but then for the rest of our journey in faith, we then get to experience God in all of his goodness and his glory. And it's a never-ending mission and discovery of splendour of all that he has to offer for us. Let me put it this way. We come to know Jesus as saviour, right? That's the first port of call. We get to know him. But then we journey with him a little bit and then I realise that, that he is also our peace, we knew him as Savior. Now we know him as our peace, that he's the one who makes us whole and restores us. We then journey a little bit more and we discover that one of his names is Jehovah Jireh, that he provides for us as well. And we're like, whoa, that's, I didn't even see that before. Like I, was journey, I knew you as Savior, died on the cross, and I get like a ticket into heaven. And now you're like telling me you also provide for me as well. It's like, yeah, and we discover more of Jesus. Why? Because it's more seed that's springing up and rooting in our hearts and producing a harvest for our life here on earth. It's an amazing discovery of Jesus. But just like coming to salvation, there are also in our faith walk times where the word of God needs to be planted in our heart and it can get taken away by the enemy. Somebody might come along and be like, you know what, um, Jesus wants to bring restoration to your life. And instantly the enemy comes along and he he drops into your mind. He's like, no, that, that doesn't actually happen. That, that, that's not real. That's not meant to be for this life. That's the next life. And we're like, oh, I, I thought the word of God said that. And, but then we let the enemy steal that seed away. It applies to salvation, but it also applies to other promises. Uh, or maybe we had some seed planted and it shot up straight away because Jesus explains what these different soils means to his disciples. And, and he said the shallow soil is one that's really founded on a lack of relationship. Where maybe your faith walk, your Christian walk is actually more out of social adherence to your, to your religious observance than it is a passionate, intimate relationship that God desires to have with you. And religiosity is always going to be shallow, but whereas God's looking for a depth of relationship with you because he's wanting to manifest all that he has in and through you. And so that faith comes in and it shoots up really quickly, but then because it's a religious observance instead of a relational reality, then it just quickly fades away. But then there's more soil actually rises up, but there is there is other things that grow with it. And Jesus said this soil... It is the soil that is choked by the deceitfulness of riches, by the cares of life, by things like fear and anxiety, 
They come and they grow with the word, but because they grow with the word, they choke out the seed of the word taking fruition in your life. I think in any, in different seasons of my life, I've probably been guilty of all of those three soils where I've let the enemy, Satan, come and just steal away a promise of God because it's too far-fetched, it's too beyond, it's too big, it's, I don't know, for, it's, not, it's not worthy for me, it's like somebody else's promise, not mine, I don't know, a whole bunch of lies that Satan comes along, we've all heard them. Uh, maybe I've let that happen. Maybe sometimes I've been that shallow soil where I'm just trying to perform my way into the promises of God instead of realizing that I have an inheritance in Christ because of my sonship. Maybe there's been times where I've actually been more focused on, on, on what's happening with me in the world. And so I'm, I'm now walking, working, instead of 40 hours, I'm now working 50 hours or 60 hours. Why? Because I'm trying to attain what I think the world needs me to attain. And before I know it, my quiet time with God is gone. My, my moments of intimacy with him are, are shorter. And, and I've let the cares of this world choke out the passionate experience of his word coming to fruition in my life. Now, I know you all sit under Pastor Andrew's teaching, so I'm sure those three soils have not happened in your life and faith walk. Uh, I'm just being honest and vulnerable here. Um, But feel free to sit there in silence and not stand in agreement with me and uh, leave me hanging out to dry. I'm fine with that. Uh, But there is also a soil that we want where the Word of God hits our life as an empowerment and it produces a harvest to our life. Salvation isn't something that we achieve in the next life. Salvation is something that has come and invaded our life today. And the more we know about the gospel of the kingdom is it's not so much about us getting to heaven, but it's more about us dragging heaven down and establishing it because of what was paid and established at the cross of Jesus Christ. But I actually want to go on because I'm teaching the whole chapter. The whole chapter is this. Jesus then goes on. He says, this is the same day, by the way. Coincidentally, in the four Gospels, three of them synoptic, which means basically eyewitness, there's only about 50-odd days of Jesus' ministry recorded. Three years of ministry, about 50 days recorded. But this is actually all happening on one day. Parable of the sower, he then goes on to talk about light and how if you got a light, don't hide it under a, under a bushel. Like you meant to just let that light out. You meant to let it expand and light leads to more light. It's meant to get brighter and brighter, not duller and duller. And then he goes on to the parable of the seed. Jesus is still talking about seed. He says this. He says, if a, if a farmer goes out and sows seed and, and he goes and he, he lies down that night, he comes back and there's a harvest. How it happens, don't know. It just happens because God has set it up that way. This is how the word works in our life. We sow the seed of the word of God in our life. It's not our job to oversee it and fulfill it. Guess whose job that is? It's God's job to oversee his word. Matter of fact, Psalms even says that God has placed his word, his promise, his decree above his name. That's that's how seriously God takes fulfilling his word. It's above his own name. So if God were to break his own word, he would break his own identity and character, which is impossible for God to do. So he goes on the parable of seed. Then he goes on and, he, and he, then, he then tells a parable about a mustard seed that no matter how small the word of God is, it can spring up and produce a massive crop that not only blesses your life, it can bless other people's life as well, that other people then come sit under the shade of the faith that's been produced from the word of God in your life. That, that not only is heaven established in your life, but there's such an overflow of heaven in your life that is now blessing your neighbour is now blessing your community, that now the light of God's revelation is now expanding into your nation. 
And this is certainly true of church history, that it hasn't just been isolated to individualism, but it's actually impacted nations for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's even a strong argument to say that was the original mandate. I haven't got time to go into that right now. It's a rabbit hole. Let's get rid of that. Uh, but that is certainly that, that the mustard seed then produces a, a big tree that actually other people can come and get shade from. And so Jesus, he, he wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have taught all of this in like half an hour like I am this morning. He would have taken all day to do this. There would have been food. There would have been discussion. There would have been questions. We even see some of those questions where the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, that like parable farmer seed thing, like can you explain what's going on there? And they, they would have conversed around this. This would have taken all day. Jesus is preaching all day. He's getting word into them all day. He gets to the end of the day, same day. Remember, same day. He says to the disciples, get into the boat and go over to the other side. Same day, preaching all day about the word of God, bringing harvest in your life. Get in the boat, go to the other side. Jesus falls asleep in the boat and on the boat over to the other side, a big storm whips up. There's waves and there's wind and the disciples are freaking out. And Jesus is sleeping and they see Jesus sleeping and they go to rebuke him. What are you doing sleeping, teacher? That's a mistake. That's the Messiah. That's God. And the disciples are like, what are you doing? Not smart. And so Jesus wakes up and he says this. After a whole day of preaching on how the word of God, the promises of God, how it comes to fruition, how it brings a harvest, how the kingdom of God works. They jump in a boat after Jesus' own declaration. Let's go to the other side. A wind and some wave comes and they're freaking out. Jesus says to them, why have you got so much fear? Why don't you have faith? Or let me just, just juxtapose that for a moment. Often we think the opposite of faith is doubt. But it appears to me from Jesus' own standpoint here that the opposite of faith is fear. That the opposite of faith isn't doubt, that the opposite of faith is fear. See, the kingdom of God operates on love and faith, whereas the kingdom of darkness works on fear and submission. And so if we're going to be operating in the kingdom of God and the way in which Jesus likes to do things, then we're going to be operating in love and, fear and faith. Sorry, not fear. <laughs> Erase that. In love and faith. Why? Why can we have faith? Because God is faithful. Why do we have faith? Because God is faithful and he's a loving God. And so what I want to ask you this morning and get us to reflect on just momentarily about the power of the word in our life, the power of words in our life, are we aligning our words with God's word and allowing that seed to hit good soil and produce a harvest, a harvest that God oversees the fulfillment on, like the parable of the seed, a light that gives light not only in our circumstance but into our neighbours and community, a, a, a faith and a word that's going to produce, as small as it might be, as a mustard seed, will produce a, a shady tree that will often bring blessing into others' life. Or as soon as the situation comes along, even at the word of Jesus, are we going to be operating in fear? Now, faith isn't easy. I'm not trying to present that faith is easy because faith is actually one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your Christian walk because everything in your life is going the opposite direction. 
everything in your life. We live in an economy of fear. That's how the world operates, is in the kingdom of fear. And so for us to be a faith people means you are going against the grain. You are rowing your boat upstream. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's also not complicated. God's word has been established. He's going to oversee his word. The soil of our heart is going to determine if it's going to be stolen by the enemy, if it's going to spring up and wither away whether it's going to get choked out by the fears and anxieties of this life or whether it's going to produce a harvest in our life. And really, that's the condition of the heart. Are we going to operate in our heart, have the Word of God operate in faith or in fear? It's, it's tough. I mean, I, I'm, once again, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. You know, I've, I preach the Word. Like, and and I, I believe in it, I read it, and, I, and then all of a sudden a circumstance comes along and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm not sure how you're going to get this one. I see him sleeping in the boat. I'm like, Jesus, what are you sleeping in the boat for? Can't, can't you see what I'm dealing with this here? And I'm rebuking Jesus. Where are you, Jesus? You're, you're asleep at the wheel. And Jesus is like, why? Don't you know that I'm faithful? And so the power of God's word in our life comes from our obedience to listen to his word and actually give it proper place. It comes down to the position of our heart. If I could have the keys player. Amazing worship this morning, by the way. I'm trying to think of that worship team that you sound like this morning. They, they sing the Psalm 23. Who... Does anyone know the worship team I'm talking about? You sound exactly like them. It's really powerful worship this morning. Right now, I just want to take a couple of moments to see where you're at with the power of God's Word in your life. I mean, there's there's a lot in there. We just went through a whole chapter of the Bible, essentially a whole day of Jesus' teaching on how faith works how the Word of God operates in our life. And right now, as you as a church are journeying through this season and this theme of words, as a word people, we we do need to make a decision. What words am I going to align my life with? Am I going to align my, my words with the power and the authority of God's Word? Is there supernatural power to the Word of God? Or am I going to listen to the other voices, maybe the voices of trying to steal those promises away, maybe the voices of the cares and concerns of this life. Or maybe you're in a storm right now and you got wind beating down on you, you got waves crashing into your boat right now. And all you got is just that simple command from Jesus go to the other side. And it feels like he's sleeping. Maybe that's you today. That's why every eye closed head bowed right now because before I move on I also want to extend an invitation right now because the original intent of that parable of the sower is actually talking about coming to know God coming to know Jesus so maybe this morning is the time this seed is hitting good soil and you're ready to say, you know what, I'm really ready to know Jesus. 
I want to know who this guy is and I want him to be part of my life. If that's you this morning and you want to choose Jesus as your king, you want to say, yeah, I, I want him to be my God. You just want to raise your hand, just give me a wave, give God a wave and say, that's me. I, I want to choose Jesus this morning. That's awesome. I see that hand over there. Is there anyone else? I see that hand there as well and that one and those two as well. That's awesome. People deciding to follow Jesus. I love that one too. There's another hand over there. Following Him as your teacher. Following Him as your God. Say, I'm ready, Jesus. I'm ready for you to become part of my life. This is great. Praise God. Anyone else? I want to look one more time. Any other hands? Just want to shoot up. Praise God. See that hand as well. Praise God. That's awesome. Can we just give God a praise clap right then? You know, He's coming to people's lives right now. He's going to totally change them. That seed is going to produce a harvest. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's you this morning. I'm sure Pastor Andrew and his team are really going to want to talk to you after the service, explain what that decision meant. So please don't rush off. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to journey with you. Christianity is not a solo sport. We do this together. But I also want to talk to maybe those, you've been walking with Jesus a long time. This is a continual decision we need to make. And so right now, I just want you to close your eyes one more time. I just want you to spend two minutes. I want you to ask this question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What word do you want to come to life in my life this morning? I want you to think about the promises of God. Maybe Jesus told you, we're going the other side. Maybe you said, get in the boat. Maybe you haven't even got in the boat yet. Maybe it's just obedience you might need to be stepping into right now. Obedience to the word is even better than sacrifice, is what Jesus said. Let's just spend a moment. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What promise are you wanting to come to fruition in my life? I'm just going to believe in Holy Spirit's going to be ministering right now. thank you so much for your revealed word in our lives. Thank you that the word, Jesus Christ, was manifested and dwelt among us, met with us, met us in our situation, met us in our suffering, met us in our darkest points, didn't stand afar off and beckoned us up, but came and met with us. And Father, with that same power, changed our life. Father, we continue to journey in that. Holy Spirit, your promise was that you would reveal all truth to us. So we invite you again, Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us to journey more into our revealing of Jesus and who He is. Father, I just pray for every heart 
and mind in this congregation this morning, this group of people this morning, Father, I just pray, Lord, that they would be a word people that would put the authority of the word as number one in their life, that they would listen, choose to respond in faith to every single promise that you've delivered. God, we also silence the voices that would diminish the word of God. Lord, we also ask for a deeper, intimate relationship with you for that word to be grown in. And Father, we also thank you that you're the one who oversees your word. We know you're going to be faithful in the future because you've been faithful in the past that you always oversee the word being fulfilled in our lives. Lord, right now, I just pray for every situation and circumstance. Those who are in the middle of a storm right now, Lord, I just speak healing wholeness, restoration, Father, deliverance right now. Lord, I thank you that in any storm, you're there in the boat with us. You're not not on the shore. You're right there in the midst with us, speaking peace, speaking your promise. Just release your presence into people's lives right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.